It's a story that Jesus told of the two sons. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, Many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who had squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Roger. I'm going to pray uh, before we take a, a closer look at uh, this story and particularly um, the older, older son in it. Gracious Father, thank you for the stories that Jesus did tell, particularly this one, and ask that uh, it might move us as Jesus intended to be more interested in the things of your kingdom, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard anyone say uh, that they'd be afraid to come to church because they they might burst into flames? Ever heard that? I've heard that many times from people. 
Um, not a num- number of non-Christians have said that. Oh, I wouldn't come to church. I'll just burst into flames. I wonder why that is. Because they think that they're not good enough. Uh, because that they're not good moral people like churchgoers should be. And they're afraid that judgment will kind of instantly fall on them. Is that it? Now, why would they think that? Back in Jesus' day, those who weren't good, who didn't fit in with the expected norms, who were the sinners, uh, the dirty people, they flocked around him. And as a result, he was actually criticised for hanging around them. So if we're all about Jesus and we're keen to be like him, what is it about church that keeps sinners out? Maybe because it's full of too many religious people. Which seems to be what Jesus' story about the lost son uh, is actually hinting at. Now, over the holiday period, we've been looking at the stories that Jesus told, and we've seen that Jesus' stories, uh, he told these stories because they, they have a knack of getting into our hearts and getting into our heads, uh, just like the story of the two sons. Last week, Jamie focused on the younger son, uh, the more obviously lost son, uh, as he represents those who are more openly alienated from God in their behaviour. Uh, but today we're going to focus on the older son, the, the one who represents the more religious, the more morally upright, the uh, the good people. So that's where we're going today. Uh, we'll go back briefly, look at uh, the younger son, but then we'll look more closely at the older son, and uh, then we'll wrap up seeing that the father loves them both. So first up, the younger son. And it's worth noting what type of person the younger son represents. Firstly, they want what God gives and they want it without him being in the picture. It's interesting the language that the younger son uses there in verse 12. Uh, the younger son said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, the estate is something, normally something that passes from a father to his children after he dies, right? But the, the younger son in this story can't wait until then, can't wait till he's dead. He want, wishes he's dead. It's like he's wishing that his dad was dead so that he could have his dad's stuff which is also how most people in the world live, as if God's dead, right? And even if they don't think about him, uh, well, even if they do at any point think about him, they certainly don't want him poking their, his nose into their life and all the good things that they enjoy from him, which is every good thing in this life. They just prefer he wasn't around, that he was dead. That's the younger son. He represents the tax collectors and sinners in Jesus' day, and he still represent, represents them today, not so much the tax collectors, but certainly the, the sinners, those who don't care for God and his ways, who enjoy life doing sex, health and wealth their own way, not God's way, who want God's stuff but don't want him. And the amazing thing is, God still loves them. As Jesus' story goes on, the father still loves the younger son. As he comes back to the father with his tail between his legs, he knows he doesn't deserve anything from his father except maybe his anger and rejection. Instead, we see the father run to him, embrace him, take him back with great joy, which is a picture of God. And as a picture of God, that's really quite amazing, isn't it? There's something amazing about God that no matter how bad you think you've been, no matter how much you've ignored God and done things your own way, no matter how much you wished he was dead or lived as if he was, this God, the God of Jesus, loves you and wants you back. More than that, he'll chuck a party if you humble yourself and come back to him. It doesn't matter how filthy or terrible or trash you feel, God doesn't want to see you burst into flames because you don't think you're good enough. At least the God of Jesus is not like that. That God, the true God, loves you, 
loves you enough, he sent Jesus to lay down his life for you. So tell him you've messed up. Beg him to take you in and know that he is running to you with his arms wide open to take you in. I had a mate who uh, owned a local convenience store a number of years ago. Now, for many years, uh, we chatted about God and Jesus together, but he'd always kind of fobbed off, um, not taking it terribly seriously, at least not for him personally. He was, he was respectful about me and my faith, and he'd listen to my thoughts, and he'd intellectually wrestle with some of the things that I'd say about God and Jesus. But then he got uh, really sick, uh, and he was admitted to hospital. He told that he only had weeks to live. And suddenly he got very serious in his chats with me as he contemplated meeting his maker face to face. Uh, He was desperate to know how he could be right with God and he ended up seriously trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. And dying. Dying in the confidence of knowing God loved him, despite his wayward life and ways. But he was cutting it pretty fine between spending eternity in heaven and spending it in hell. And none of us know when we're going to go. So please, if you're like the younger son today, if that's you, don't wait like my friend did to the final hour. See now that life outside of God's house is like playing in a pig pen and God wants you back home with him now. Don't wait. Come back to the Father. Because he's waiting and watching for you to take you into his arms forever. That's the younger son. But then there's the older son, the one, the son who didn't abuse the father's estate, the one who was obedient, who lived a good life, who did all the right things. He represents the uh, Pharisees and teachers of, uh, of God's law in Jesus' day, the religious people, which he still represents today. And it's interesting to see that Jesus tells this story particularly for them. This story is firstly for those who are religious, who do all the Bible requires. And if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say the majority of people here today and listening online, if we're going to be like any one of these sons, we're probably going to be like the older one, who's just as lost, just as alienated from God as the younger son, just lost in a religious way which we see in the older son's exchange with the father as he chucks a hissy fit uh, because his dad takes his wayward brother back. Uh, Verse 28, the older brother, we're told, became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look! You note, note the way the older son talks to his dad? There's no deferential respect here. He doesn't even acknowledge him as dad. It's just, look here! It's pretty rude. Which back in those days, it would have been like a slap in the face. I mean, even now, can you imagine slapping your father in the face? It's horrendous. That's essentially what the son's doing here. And it's deeply, deeply shameful. But it's just a a reflection of where this son is at with his father. And ironically, it's, it's not actually that much different to where his younger brother was at. He cares about his father's stuff and how much he's getting. Not actually that much about his father. Verse 29 again, we see... He says, all these years, I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Mm. 
His son sees his relationship with his dad as a business transaction. I slave for you. I never disobey you. And I do all this to get stuff from you and you don't give it to me. I know someone who moved interstate uh, to study at Bible College. He spent years studying and training. He gave up a lot to actually go in and uh, work in the church, serving the people there for many years. But then a few years ago, trouble started brewing in his home, uh, in his home life. And at his church, his relationship with his boss and his wife and his kids deteriorated. He lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost friends. And, and for a while there, he was really, really angry at God. When I'd ask him how things were with him and God, he'd tell me he thought God owed him more than he was getting. Now, that's a, that's an extreme example, I think, of the older brother. But I wonder if we might not be a little bit the same sometimes. Like the older brother, who perhaps sees others seemingly doing whatever they like, whatever they want, and seem to be fine, God still loves them and they know it, while we, well, we've, we've tried hard for so long to do the right thing, we've denied ourselves so much for the sake of being good little boys and girls, maybe we resent God's love for others. Because like the older brother, we want the father's goods rather than the father himself. So for example, we want church to be the way we want it, just so. Just the way that me and mine like it. So not so much the way that it might be good for unbelievers, but good for us because, well, we've served faithfully, because we've been good at towing the line. We've been good at doing all the right things. So we deserve things to be the way we want them. But in this, in being good, just to good, get the goods from God, we're actually bad. Uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I don't know if you've read this, it's a classic little story written in 1886, can you believe it, it's like that old, uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson. It's the story of the mild-mannered Dr. Jekyll who concocts a serum that turns him into the brutish, powerful Mr. Hyde. Now, Mr. Hyde actually ends up murdering someone, and after realising what he's done, Dr. Jekyll vows to never take the serum again. He sets about on a course of philanthropy and helping others. Uh, but at one crucial stage, after a long stint of being good and doing really good things for people, Dr. Jekyll, he's reflecting on how good he's been. And in the process of actually glorying in his goodness, he looks down at his hands and they've turned into, Do- into Mr. Hyde's. Shockingly, it's at his best, and taking pride in it, that Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. Hyde. And the true monster of self-righteousness is revealed. Well, in the same way, we see the monster that the older brother is in Jesus' story as his self-righteousness is exposed. And illustrates for us all that we've never been, that we're never so bad as when we think we're good enough to get God's good gifts. In some ways, as we fall into the ways of the older son, we're more monstrous towards God than those who are like the younger son. Because in our entitlement, we end up standing in judgment of God. We think we we get to decide where God distributes his goods and where he shouldn't. Which is what the older son does in questioning his dad. Verse 30, right? But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? In those days, the fattened calf was not an insignificant thing. It was eaten on major religious holidays like the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was especially fed and prepared for those for those occasions. It was a rare treat. And it would take 
hours to prepare. It's a lavish and expensive gesture, and the father decides to give it for a feast for the returned younger son, which would have come out of the estate that's left for the older brother. In his eyes, then, the father's generosity, what's it doing? It's costing him what's, what is owed to him. And perhaps like the other brother here, maybe we might begrudge the generosity of God towards others as well because we've obeyed God to get things and they haven't come our way or they've been taken away. So how do we know if we're the older brother or if we're harbouring something of the older brother's attitudes towards God? Well, a good way to find out is actually to look at the brother's response before he even opens his mouth. What does he do? He gets angry. (laughs) The older brother becomes angry. He sees the father's generosity towards his brother. He sees it eating away at his own inheritance and makes him angry. And in this, he actually shows us something. He shows us what we love. He shows us what he truly loves. Because anger, anger is a great pointer to what we love. I love sleep. Even though I tend to go to bed too late, too often, I still love sleep. And you know how I know I love sleep? Because all too often, our dog steals it from me. Huffing and growling at our bedroom door at stupid o'clock in the morning to take her for an early walk. Oh, that makes me angry and frustrated because that canine criminal is all too often threatening what I love. We tend to get angry at whatever threatens what we truly love. Throughout the Old Testament prophets in the Bible, we're told that God's jealous anger at his ancient people, the Israelites, it's because they keep cheating on him over and over with other gods, and he loves them. His anger is directly linked to his love. And so it's worth asking then what the older son in Jesus' story loves so much that he gets angry over it. What is it the older son loves so much that it's, that's being threatened by his father's generosity? Seems to be a couple of things. Firstly, it's his sense of entitlement. Unlike his wayward brother, he thinks he deserves the father's good things because he's been a good boy. But secondly, his love for the father's goods is also being threatened. They were being eaten into by the father's generosity. That fattened calf, it was coming out of what should have been coming to him. His anger shows what he loves, what's dear to his heart, and it's a sense of entitlement and his father's goods. I wonder what your anger reveals about what you really care about. What makes you angry? I mean, really angry. Not just grumpy over a dumb dog stealing your sleep. The last time that you were really angry, what was it over? And what might it tell you about where your heart is at and what you really care about? Is it God himself and what he cares about? Is that what you love? Is that what your anger is pointing towards? Or is it something else? Maybe something like the older brother? A sense of entitlement? That you're not getting what you think you deserve? And the good things that God gives in this life, they've been taken away from you? It's important to think about, I think. Because particularly if as religious people uh, we're hitting any of the notes that this older brother in this story is hitting. Because of the two sons in this in this scenario, the greater concern for Jesus, you know who it is? It's the older one. The younger one, he ends up all good with the father in the story. But there's a question mark left hanging with the older one 
It reminds me a little bit of the words that Jesus says in Revelation, the book of Revelation, to a church in Ephesus at the time. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. Sounds a little bit like the older brother, doesn't it? He goes on, you have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I will disband the church. Those of us with older brother tendencies who've forsaken the love that we had of God at first, we really need to hear this and really listen to Jesus as he wraps up the story with the older brother, still standing outside of his father's house, fuming in his entitlement and in his privilege. Which brings us to the last point. As we see, Jesus lets the father have the the final word in this story. It's beautiful. Verse 31. My son. My son. I think this is probably the most moving part of the whole story. After all the ways that the older son has treated his father, shunned him, wanted his stuff more than him, demanded it even in the face of all that, the father still loves him and still considers him his son. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father wants his son, God, wants his lost, entitled children, wants us to know he's not keeping anything from us. He's not stealing from us. He's not taking away from us what's ours because everything he has is ours. But before that, and more important than that, we're always with him. That there, that's the greatest good. Being with God the Father himself and he with us. That is greater than having the whole of creation a million times over. That God, the creator, the lover of our souls is with us. That we have God. That he offers us his very self. He offers that to us in and through trusting his son Jesus. This can send you giddy if you let it. And that this God, who wants you to be with him always, has made it possible by graciously and lovingly sending his precious son to suffer and die in our place for our sin. This is and should be shockingly heart-melting. Such unbounded love. Pictured in a very, very small way in the story that Jesus tells of the father coming out to his older son, pursuing him, pleading with him to be with him. God the Father aches for us to be with him and to enjoy him. No amount of disrespect or entitlement or materialistic obsession can stop him loving us in Jesus and forgiving us and taking us back. We don't we don't need to prove anything to be worthy of his love. We just have to accept it. 
to humble ourselves, say we're sorry and accept it. And if we let his love for us in Jesus get un, under our skin, if we let his merciful and gracious love for us in Jesus to settle on our heart, then we'll be free to love him back. Free to care for what he cares for. To celebrate what he celebrates. And what's that? Well, the father in the story tells us, doesn't it? The father says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As the father in this story, Jesus wants us to know that our heavenly father truly cares, what he truly cares about, what brings him joy. And it's the younger son coming home. It's the lost being found, the dead now alive, sinners coming to faith in Jesus and becoming a part of his family. That's what God cares about. And that's what the older brother is to care about too. If he's to join his father back in the house, he's got to celebrate and be glad with his dad, celebrate and be glad that his lost brother has been found. Now, uh, what's interesting is that this story is the last of three stories that Jesus told about something being lost and then found. Right? There's the lost sheep, and then there's the lost coin, and now the lost son. And where all three are found with much rejoicing, uh, there's an obvious difference in the final story. Someone searches for the sheep and the coin, but not for the younger son. Yes, the father sees him far off and runs to him, but he, he didn't go out and search for him. And the Christian writer, Tim Keller, he reckons Jesus tells this story very deliberately in this way, so that the thoughtful listener is invited to ask, well, who should go out? Who should have gone out and searched for the lost son? Who? And given the other biblical truth, that we are our brother's keeper, we are, (laughs) suggests it should have been the older brother. Which makes sense of Jesus' story here as the question over the elder son is left hanging, that the right response for those who fear they've fallen into the ways and thinking of the older son, those of us maybe who've fallen into complacent, entitled and worldly obsessed lives to embrace the Father's gracious love for us and steer our hearts towards loving what he loves to search for the younger son, for the lost, so that we might join the Father in celebrating their return home. Which, well, at the very least, look like praying for them. Praying for those we know are lost and alienated from God. Praying that they have a crisis of unbelief. And then looking for opportunities to put out the Father's welcome mat for them. By providing opportunities for them to hear about Jesus, either from ourselves or from someone else. Start praying for someone to invite them along to Hope Explored, which will be continuing on in term two. Start praying for them now. Or to bring them along to connect or to English as a second language or to play group. Invite them home for a meal or out for coffee or afternoon tea. Invite them to church. Even even if you think that might be a, a bit weird. Take the plunge. What's the worst that can happen? They hear about Jesus and don't come back? That's better than never coming at all. Let's not be the older brother in this story. 
Let's learn to treasure afresh God as our first love and to love what he loves, searching for the lost to bring them to God through Jesus. And I'm going to pray that that would be the case for us. Let's, let's talk to God. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories that Jesus told, particularly this story of the lost sons. We thank you that if it has impacted us and got under our skin, and perhaps we've identified some of the older brothers' attitudes in our own lives, that you would forgive us, that you would grant us forgiveness, that you would help us to humble ourselves and acknowledge any sense of entitlement or obsessing over the good things rather than you, the good things that you give us rather than you. Help us instead to adore you, to love you, and to love what you love and to be keen to search out for the lost, for those who don't know you, so that we might bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus by your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much that this story tells us what you're like, that you love us. May that love melt our hearts. May the extent of your love for us, revealed in what Jesus has done for us, move us to love you back. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.